This is the Medical Republic. I'm Francine Crimmins. This short bonus episode is a clinical interview from the GPCE in Sydney and is with geriatric medicine specialist, Associate Professor Nick Brennan. It's all about the best tips for GPs who are managing dementia in the community and navigating the best path from patients from the start of the disease onset until the end of life. Hi, look, I'm Associate Professor Nick Brennan. I'm Director of the Geriatric Medical Service at War Memorial Hospital in um, Sydney. So what are the major management issues in dementia? Uh, there are many management issues in dementia, but the management of behavioural and psychological symptoms is probably the main one that we focus on. So um, various symptoms that include apathy or depression, anxiety, the mood disorders. And then there's the delusional or psychotic disorders, delusions, hallucinations. And on top of that, you've got problems that are purely related to restlessness, agitation and aggression, so verbal or physical aggressions. They would be the main things that we have to deal with. And unfortunately, during the course of a dementing illness, a person can suffer from many or all of those symptoms concurrently, or they can come and go during the course of the dementia. And how often is depression actually a alternate diagnosis to dementia? Um, depression is actually the key differential diagnosis for early onset or the sorry the early stages of dementia Um, so many of the features that are typical of early dementia are common symptoms of um, depression such as withdrawal or apathy loss of interest um, low mood anxiety these things are extremely common uh, when people developing uh, dementia of course it would be quite usual for people to um, think of them as um, as being depression and the converse is true people are often brought to us complaining of poor memory which is pretty typical in um, depression as well so um, we always try to exclude depression before we label someone as being diagnosed with dementia and in fact we might even try them on an antidepressant for a while to see if there's any improvement Um, Of course, dementia and depression commonly coexist, so it's not really one or the other. It might, in fact, be both things coexisting, but still people with um, dementia might benefit from a course of treatment of antidepressants um, to see how how it improves their mood. What are some of those first-line behaviour management strategies that you would recommend? We talk about first-line behaviour management strategies always before we go into pharmacotherapy and um, Behaviour management strategies take time to implement and take time to understand what is the behaviours that are causing, what are the triggers that are causing the behaviours. So um, it often requires sitting down with um, carers or family, understanding the past history of the patient, what their normal personality is, and understanding what triggers might be uh, causing the behaviours. We often see triggers such as personal care, Um, misinterpreting what that's about and resistance to showering and things like that. So um, one really has to establish what the behavioural problem is and then understand the triggers and then one can put together a behaviour management strategy to work around those things. There are just so many workarounds it's hard to sort of talk about any one thing but um, um, a simple one might be for example the use of a male carer for personal care in a male who has never been undressed by a female in his life, something simple like that. Um, Someone who's much more fit for purpose, if you can put it that way. 
Um, and sometimes these things are really not quite obvious. It can be simple little triggers that can set a person with dementia off for, for, for no obvious reason. But um, these are things we must do before we reach for the um, medications to to sedate or, or alter someone's um, to, to alter someone's behaviour. In terms of longer term care, should GPs be aware of hospital safety experts and assessing whether the person should be in their own home or in a different care situation? I think the GP has a real role in this area because um, too often patients come into hospital and are looked after by a team of doctors and allied health specialists have never met the patient before and um, I think the general practitioner is not involved enough in those sorts of discussions and the hospital too is at fault for not involving the GP at that point in time so um, the general practitioner has often got a long history with the patient and and can tell us much more reliably what has worked and what hasn't worked before um, and um, sometimes it's hard for the hospital doctors to get a real sense of how someone is coping especially if they don't have um, a really comprehensive social network around them that maybe the GP knows more about their, um, their, their situation than anybody else so um, I'm myself having worked for many years in hospital believe that I've probably made the call too early for a lot of patients in the past to put them into residential care whereas if we had to try it a bit harder um, and consulted more widely we might have come up with a different, different solution so yeah, with that background I think it's actually pretty important that the general practitioner is involved in those important decisions because a person who's put in a nursing home you know, sooner than they need to be you know, it's really not what we want as a society most people value their independence staying at home and within that process of assessing that person how important is talking to their next of kin mm. uh, it's critical but sometimes unfortunately there is no next of kin or it can be very difficult to track a next of kin down You'd be very surprised how often we find people who have absolutely no identifiable next of kin or no friends and no family. They've either outlived them or they've run away from them. There are many different um, uh, scenarios there. So um, one of the real mistakes um, I've seen over the years is um, uh, uh, medical professionals not making enough, um, uh, not saying not making enough effort, but um, not contacting relatives or next of kin if they have concerns, especially if the patient is denying there's any problem, which um, dementia patients typically do. So it's really important to um, track down the next of kin and get the so-called collateral history. Um, I myself have misdiagnosed or, or um, undiagnosed dementia because I haven't spoken to the relevant person who had really important information and of course the person living with dementia can seem really quite normal sometimes and unless you do cognitive testing, unless you seek a collateral history, you'll miss the diagnosis. And with that and assessing even their living situation, if they are someone who is perhaps by themselves when you see them, how important is it to get to know what their living situation is like? Yeah. It's really, I think it's unfair to um, advise someone that they can't live at home if you really don't know what their home looks like and what's, what resources they have. Um, we see a whole variety of places that people choose to call home. Some of them would really surprise you but um, in working in this space you begin to realise that 
a man's home is his castle, so it's important to understand what that castle looks like and um, whether or not it's safe or unsafe. Now, it's hard for general practitioners. Uh, fewer um, GPs do home visits now, um, so really knowing what the home environment is, you know, they're missing out on that key information when it comes to uh, the decision. It's all too easy just to say, oh, I'll put them in a nursing home, but that's not what society wants. Uh, we need to be working, I think, a little bit smarter, um, engaging re you know, community resources and community teams who can do a home visit. It's always available, or it should be always available, a local um, community occupational therapist or social worker. If the general practitioner doesn't have time, certainly referral to a geriatric service um, a social worker or even a geriatrician would usually result in an appropriate um, evaluation of a home environment. And look, a lot of simple adjustments can sometimes be made to make things much more um, safe for a person to stay at home for much longer. It's not that hard. So the final thing that I wanted to ask you is something that crosses GP's desks quite a lot and it's at what point or if at all you have to consider taking away someone's right to drive. Mm. Driving's a big problem when it comes to um, not just dementia but uh, older people. Um, there are a lot of guidelines in relation to um, um, older drivers and um, drivers with dementia but they're not very clear. Um, there's still a lot of work being done in that space um, to understand when is a patient safe or not safe to continue to be in charge of a motor vehicle. Um, it's really one of the very um, important areas for people's quality of life that they can continue to drive a car and people who are living with dementia often don't realise that their driving skills may be a question so for them it's really quite a, a confrontational um, experience to be told that maybe they shouldn't be driving and they will usually not accept that advice. Um, first and foremost again I think it's important to speak with family if they've noticed any problems with the driving, has there been any recent accidents or little incidents, would they in self, would they be happy to get in a car with the person? Um, you know, sometimes a person with dementia may be driving uh, and the spouse might be doing the direction finding, they may be working as a team and maybe that person shouldn't be driving by themselves. Some would argue that person shouldn't be driving at all. Um, I think the a compromise, if you're not sure, especially if you're consulting the patient um, at home, and I don't know anyone who does consultations with their patients in their cars, but I think it's probably a good idea to, make, to have their, an on-road driving assessment in one shape or form. Um, a formal community occupational therapy driving assessment um, can be arranged, it's very expensive, um, it's not often available locally, but there are many driving schools and driving instructors who are available locally and more and more of these uh, instructors are now qualified in older driver, older driver re-education and um, assessment and my practice is to refer to the local um, driving instructor to at least do a screening um, on-road assessment to see if there are any obvious problems and if um, that person earmarks something as um, being a bit um, problematic I would then move forward to a formal on-road driving assessment. I think it's very important if general practitioners are not sure about driving status um, to refer, in relation to dementia, to refer to um, an appropriate specialist in the same way as that they would seek uh, confirmation from 
you know, an epileptologist or a diabetologist in relation to driving and those other conditions. It's, it's much the same for uh, dementia and driving. We've really been enjoying all the feedback about the TMR podcast and even about these bonus episodes, which we've been doing every so often just to break up the regular season of TMR. But still, if you have any feedback, ideas, content, stories that you think we should chase up, or even just to uh, give us a shout out or say hi, you can email me at francine at medicalrepublic.com.au. But in the meantime, Felicity's been away because she's been attending EULA, which is the big rheumatology conference over in Spain. But next week, she's back and she's bringing all of the highlights to TMR. See you next time.